0: Good morning. The joy it is to be here. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 23? I think one could be hard-pressed to find a more recognizable passage of Scripture than Psalm 23. Uh, certainly, there are plenty of go-to passages. Think of John 3:16, or Romans 8:28, or Jeremiah 29:11. Certainly those are go-tos. But it seems like Psalm 23 has found a abnormal, and, a abnormal diffusion even in popular culture, whether it's soldiers on the verge of or in the midst of battle muttering these words to themselves or in horror films, protagonists walking down the creepy hallway muttering these words for comfort. This psalm seems to be uniquely chosen to provide comfort. Now, of course, Psalm 23 is also widespread amongst Christians. I remember this being the very first psalm I ever memorized in Mr. Fatma's Sunday school class. Uh, This is a go-to verse for us in any situation, people who put them on their tombstones, that want to be remembered by this verse. Time and time again, people, but especially Christians, have retreated to the safe harbor found in Psalm 23. And the aim of this sermon is by no means to try and be Novel. May that never be true of any of our sermons. We're not seeking to produce something new, but just what is it about this text? What is it about Psalm 23 that makes it ubiquitous, that even the unbelieving world would retreat to it? One of the enduring attributes of the Psalms in general is that when one reads them, one can identify with the psalmist himself, with their emotions, their anger, their grief, their suffering, their joy, their praise. In short, to read the psalms is to feel at home. And Psalm 23 is a prime example. There is intrinsic comfort in this psalm. A sense of intimacy pervades it. the sense of being known, even in the worst of circumstances. What has given this psalm a, unique piece, or a unique place amongst mankind throughout all of history? It is the aroma of care, of comfort. And of confidence that we are not on our own, but are being led by a good shepherd. Few could have or have summed it up better than Derek Kidner when he says this. Depth and strength underlie the simplicity of this psalm. Its peace is not escape. Its contentment is not complacency. There is readiness to face deep darkness and imminent attack. And the climax reveals a love which homes toward no material goal, but to the Lord himself. So, let us turn our attention to this great psalm. I'm sure I could ask any number of you to come up and recite it for us, but if you would join me in standing as we hear Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Oh Father, would you awaken our hearts to receive this historic text. May the pylons of your truth and care, just be driven a bit deeper this morning, we ask. As we approach your word, may we not come with presumptions or assumptions, but simply faith. Would you give us that faith, we ask, in your name, amen. You may be seated. Psalm 23 is a psalm about shepherds and sheep, kings and their enemies. It's about broad fields and quiet streams, about dark Valleys marked with the stench of death and decay. And it is written by a man who experienced all of those. David was a shepherd. He fought off the bears and the lions. He, in the Judean wilderness, he led and fed his flock. And David had been a king, anointed by Samuel himself, defeated the enemies of the Lord, and hosted great banquets. David had even sat in the house of the Lord, the tabernacle, and sought the Lord for forgiveness and thanksgiving. It could be and has been endlessly debated on the occasion or circumstance around Psalm 23. Was he in the midst of battle? Had his son Absalom conspired against him? Was he hiding in the wilderness, fleeing from the murderous Saul, or was he simply content in his his kingdom? The ambiguity is telling and formative. The circumstance is not vital to understand this text because it's true regardless of the circumstances. This psalm is an allegory of David's life and for the whole of the Christian life, of your life and my life. And here is what I believe David means to communicate to to himself and to us in Psalm 23. In every circumstance, the Lord shepherds those who trust him giving us the confidence to rest in him. In every circumstance, the Lord shepherds those who trust him, giving us the confidence to rest in him. As we follow David through Psalm 23, we will see that the Lord cares for his sheep and shepherds his flock in specific ways. First, he leads and he feeds. Secondly, he will comfort and protect. And third, he welcomes and sustains. So, first, our shepherd leads and feeds, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 23 is traditionally categorized in the group of psalms that are called the Songs of Confidence. The iconic opening lines of this psalm set the entire tone and give the trajectory by which the rest of the psalm flows. David begins with this audacious assertion, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The Lord, all caps, the personal covenant name for God is the first word spoken given primacy over all. This is the same God that created the universe, spoke it into existence. The same God who upholds every atom of the world through his powerful word. The same God that revealed himself to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and to Moses, and with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm brought Israel out of the land of slavery and to himself in the promised land, led by cloud by day and fire by night, who conquered the promised land for his people. That God, David claims, is my shepherd. There are few more intimate metaphors in the whole of the Bible than that of a shepherd. A shepherd is not distant. He's not aloof. He's not Far off, he lives with his flock to guide, protect, and care for them. David is declaring here at the very beginning the incredible, incredible reality that the Lord God is near. He's near to us. It is not good news if the Lord is a shepherd. But it is the best news of all if he is my shepherd. There is an ownership a sense of belonging that David clings to. It is the foremost thing in his mind as he thinks of the nearness of the Lord. He is my shepherd. And it is precisely because the Lord is my shepherd, David's shepherd, that the next sentence just makes sense. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A shepherd provides for his sheep. He does not withhold from them anything that they need. He leads them wherever they need to receive whatever it is they must receive. And how does the Lord provide in such a way that they have no want, that we have no want by feeding and leading the flock? He brings us to green pastures where he makes us lie down to rest near beside quiet waters. Why quiet waters? Well, sheep need water. And raging waters could endanger the sheep by pulling them under as they stoop to drink. But the water the Lord leads us to is quiet, still, safe, restorative. The shepherd is not some hired hand being forced to keep these dumb sheep alive. It's just what I do. No, the Lord thinks and observes for the good of his sheep. Kidner again puts it well when he says, God would not have taken on a flock a family, if he had not intended that he and they should be bound up with one another. The metaphor of a shepherd is the primary metaphor in the Bible for leaders, particularly those in spiritual authority. Kings, priests, elders, pastors are all given this title of shepherd. And listen to how the prophet Ezekiel describes the failure of the shepherds of Israel. He speaks for God, but see how he does it. This is at the end of the history of Israel, the tragic history, right on the verge of exile. And see what we hear in Ezekiel 34, 2 through 6. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. According to Ezekiel, and what would be abundantly clear to David as the former shepherd was that the role of the shepherd was to feed, to clothe, to strengthen, to heal, to bring back lost sheep. And they were to do so with care and kindness, but they refused. They abandoned the post. They exploited the sheep for their own purposes. They didn't feed the sheep. They starved them and gorged on the excess. And hear now how Ezekiel records the Lord's solution to the failure of the shepherds in Ezekiel 34, continuing verse 11 through 16. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel and by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with Good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There, Notice, there they shall lie down in good grazing land. And on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy I will feed them in justice. Ezekiel's audience would have recognized, as I'm sure you do, all the references within, of Psalm 23 embedded in that prophecy. All the shepherds have failed. David had failed. The leaders of Israel and Judah had failed. We have failed. But the Lord has not and will not fail to shepherd his people. It's difficult to read and to hear the Lord becoming the shepherd of his people without being reminded of these beautiful words spoken from the lips of Jesus in John 11, uh, John chapter 10 verse 11 I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep Just as the Lord was to shepherd was the shepherd to David now in and through Christ we have a good shepherd If you belong to Christ through union with his death and resurrection, you belong to his flock. You who were once far off, alienated from, from Christ, lost, wandering all of the hills, you have been brought near by the very blood of the shepherd. Because the good shepherd loves you, he laid down his life for you to bring you back. And the very thing that he now gives you to feed on is the bread of life. It is Christ and his word. This, this book, the shepherd feeds you with. And whoever eats of this bread will never go hungry again. The shepherd feeds his sheep. The Lord is the one who provides nourishment to his flock. He leads them, feeds them, and ultimately restores them. Look at verse 3 again. The restoration is not just physical, the effect you might feel when you eat food after being hungry or drink water after being thirsty, but this is spiritual. The type of restoration that David and we experience is one of the soul. Because the Lord is our shepherd, he knows our needs and the extent of our needs, that they are far beyond water and food. Our malnourishment is soul deep. It will take the death of the shepherd to bring us back to these fields that David's describing. The bread of life must be broken. The restoration, the restoration of our souls requires nothing less than the life of the good shepherd himself. Maybe you're experiencing a season, maybe you're experiencing a season right now, where you have a hard time believing that the Lord is your shepherd. And well, even if he is my shepherd, he's not a very good one. Where is he leading me? How could all of this, my circumstances, be for my good? My life looks nothing like I had dreamt or hoped it would be. And it certainly doesn't look like the Shire-esque description that David gives of pastures and quiet waters. Look at verse 3 again. The road that that the shepherd leads, David calls paths of righteousness. When being led by this shepherd, there are no wrong turns. All of the paths that the Lord brings us on are ultimately for his name's sake or better, for his glory. This is the Old Testament version of Romans 8, 28. All things must work out for the good of those who love God, and all paths are called righteous when they bring glory to the one leading. So take heart, weary Christian. You have not been betrayed. You are not being misled. This is the bedrock of David's and all of our confidence and hope and assurance. Because of God in Christ Jesus All things work out for my ultimate good. And even if that road seems dark, it's still called the path of righteousness. And it's almost as if in response to our doubt, David changes the scene. Number two, the shepherd comforts and protects. The imagery of the psalm pivots from the lush, open grazing fields to the rocky, desolate, crags in the valley. And this isn't just any valley. David calls it the valley of the shadow of death. Other translations of the Hebrew word here for shadow of death uh, are deep darkness or deathly darkness or most ominously the darkness of death. Whatever the translation, the mood is clear. This is a scene and a place of unknown terrors and danger. And normally A shepherd wouldn't lead his flock into such danger. However, the scene David depicts has an inevitability about it. There is no indication that the path the the shepherd brings us through in this valley is not one of the paths of righteousness mentioned above. The opening phrase David gives is not, if I ever, although I really hope I don't, (laughs) and it's not even, even if, it's even though. David's assumption is that he will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so will we. As I mentioned earlier, part of the beauty of the Psalms is that it's not hard to locate ourselves within them. And certainly, I'm sure, we can all relate to the experience of walking through valleys of shadow of death. This valley takes on innumerable forms. Last summer, as we were preparing to move to Louisville, Kentucky for the pastor's college, I I remember distinctly sitting at our kitchen table reading uh, C.J. Mahaney's book, Humility, in preparation. And in that book, he describes the inevitability of suffering. He says, if you have experienced seasons of intense or prolonged suffering, you just simply haven't lived long enough. (laughs) There was me, 29 years old, having not really experienced that type of suffering that he was clearly describing. A few days later, I received a call from my dad at the very end of the night, informing me that my uncle had been tragically killed in a bicycle accident. Very little information, just news, traumatic news. That's the valley. And maybe you have received a call like that, and felt the ongoing effect of it, that Whenever now I see a phone call, an unexpected phone call from a family member late at night, my heart skips a beat, stealing myself for more bad news. And maybe you've received a call from a doctor asking for you to come back in for more testing. And you've waited, hoping that the news is good news and the tests come back normal. Or maybe you've sat in a hospital waiting room, waiting for the doctor to come and tell you what you already know from the ultrasound room there is no heartbeat. Countless more situations, countless more valleys that the Lord our shepherd has called us to walk through. But David, who, who walked through plenty of valleys himself, declares that he simply will not fear. Why? How? The shepherd not only walks before him, leading him through, but beside him, giving comfort. And peace. Notice the change in how Davis address, David addresses the Lord in verse 4. The third person address, the he, is replaced with the second person, you. Somehow, the Lord gets closer and even more intimate. How can he be with us in this valley? How can anyone be in, with, in this valley with us? Because our good shepherd, he's walked that path already. The suffering of Christ on the cross in our place has qualified him to accompany us as we plod through the valleys of death. Through his death and resurrection, we have a great high priest who is able to walk with us. There is no other companion worthy enough or strong enough to accompany us through the deepest of valleys. Even in the midst of the most traumatic, dark circumstances, we are not alone. It's the very presence of the Lord that makes all the difference. It is the presence of the Lord that takes the fangs out of the fear of the valley of death. Death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The presence of Christ makes all the difference. We are not alone. What comfort. And this companion, he's not simply there with a hand on our shoulder telling us it's going to be okay, giving us a good pat on the back. He is Armed, the very tools of the shepherd, the rod and the staff, they bring both comfort and protection. The tools used to gently guide the sheep, to direct them not to turn to the right or the left, turn into weapons of defense and against any adversary. But a question remains. Even if the paths of righteousness lead through open fields and valleys of death, where is the path going? Where is the shepherd leading us? The answer, home. Number three, he welcomes and sustains. Verse five through six. In verse five, the scene changes again from the pastures and the valleys to the banquet hall. And the image of the Lord from shepherd to that of host. Having begun in the green pastures, plodded through the valley of the shadow of death, we are welcomed to the table of the Lord the great doors of the palace guarded by the chief shepherd himself who is the door and the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through him and the weary christian now comes through that door and brought to the very presence and table of the Lord the details that king david that king david gives of this feast are all important the table set perfectly to welcome The oil, a symbol of the royal treatment. And the overflowing cup, the picture of abundance. Everything we need is present. I saw some uh, pictures yesterday of the tea party that was hosted. Beautiful tables, all decked out and dressed to perfection. Tea, every pastry and snack you can imagine laid out before my four-year-old daughter with her eyes (laughs) as big as saucers. She can't see it. But we all know that it took endless amounts of time and care and preparation by those who prepared it. What a beautiful picture of Psalm 23 for our little girls to behold. So thank you, Afton and Anna, for for hosting that and giving such a beautiful picture of the gospel to us and to our little ones. In the scene that David describes in verse 5, the table is set, notice, in the presence of my enemies. So what's likely in view here is not that the enemies are still actively waging war, pounding on the door, trying to get in, but these are the defeated enemies from the valley. They are here at the feast of celebration, of victory. They are here to witness the greatness of the king who presents the feast to us. No enemy can thwart this king. This is, again, why all paths are righteous, even the ones that go through the valleys filled with enemies. Bring us to the table of the Lord in the house of the Lord. The psalm ends with the destination that's always been in view to the shepherd and maybe not to the sheep, the presence of the Lord himself. Notice David's joy, this emotion you feel when you come to the end of there's a sense of home and a sense of joy. Well, it's not from the material blessings of the oil and the table, but it is in the fact that goodness and mercy from the Lord will follow him. By follow, David doesn't mean we'll always be behind him, just out of reach. By follow, he means these things, the covenantal blessings of goodness and mercy of the Lord will pursue him all his days. He cannot escape it. Notice in Psalm 139, 8-10, David recounts this pursuit. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. This is the sustaining love of God. And what David tasted only in part, we now taste in a measure he could only dream of. The good shepherd is not contained to that tabernacle over there in the holiest of holies. But now, through his death and resurrection, he dwells within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. The shepherd lives within, always leading, always comforting, always sustaining. So this banquet, this being welcomed by the king is not just some far off distant future thing, which to be clear, it is when we sit at the marriage feast of the wedding feast of the of the lamb that was slain it will be it will be full but what david's also talking about is something that we can taste even now from day to day so take comfort your shepherd is good and he is near to comfort and sustain and because the good shepherd died and rose as a king now We have full assurance. All of the promises of God in this book, in his word, are yes and amen because of Jesus. The psalm ends with the most satisfying ending. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a promise. We enter as guests, but to be God's guest is not to be some distant acquaintance. Just welcomed in for the night, grab a bite to eat. Off you go in the morning. No. To be God's guests is to be God's family. And to be his family means to live with him. This pilgrimage may end in the house of the Lord, but it is clear to David and consequently to true for each of us that the pilgrimage ends at home. Home in the house of the king. In the comfort of the shepherd. Under the protection of the Lord. So my friends, this psalm is worth cherishing. It's worth lingering over. It's worth pondering and committing to memory. Psalm 23 puts steel in the bent over spines of weary, of weary saints. It says to us, no matter your circumstance, whether in the broad places or in the deepest of, of gorges, the Lord is your shepherd. Hope in him. Trust the good shepherd and do not fear. And rest secure that he is leading us home where we will dwell with him forever if we have christ nothing can snatch us off the path as apostle paul puts it for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers no things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of god in christ jesus our lord let's pray Father, what a mercy it is that you have welcomed us into your flock. We belong to your flock not because of anything in us, but because you loved us and gave yourself for us. You are the good shepherd who has brought us from the far off fields to yourself. Nothing we could have done could earn that for us. Only through Christ can we have a good shepherd. So Father, as we think on this passage, on on this psalm, this well-known, favorite, family, devotional psalm, may the pylons of assurance and of truth and of comfort and care of the shepherd drive it themselves just a little bit deeper. Thank you that you have not left us on our own, that you are ours forever, and we can dwell with you in your home forever. And it is in Christ's name, the Good Shepherd, we ask. Amen.